Today we're answering the question, how do I share my faith? And I'm so glad this topic made it into this series because as believers, the question on our minds so much of the time is how, how do we do it? How do we connect with the people we love, the friends that we have, and lead them to Christ? How do we share with them what's changed our lives and what we love so much? And there's something inside of us that just longs for us to share our faith with others. There's just a natural desire for us to want to do that, to desire to do that. So the first main idea I want you to receive today is just recognizing that we all are, because of that natural desire, we all are evangelists. I'm an evangelist, you are an evangelist. In fact, just write that down at the top of your notes somewhere. Just write down, I am an evangelist. And you may say, no, I grew up in the church, Ryland, and I know what an evangelist is. And that's the guy who swings into town every now and again, and we have the revival meeting, and he preaches an amazing message because he's an amazing communicator, and he preaches the gospel, and people receive it and come to know it, and they, come, they stand up and they come down front. That's an evangelist. Billy Graham, he's an evangelist. I am no evangelist. But when you leave church today, you can say, I am an evangelist. That's who I am. That's what I do, pure and simple. And if we can all cross over that hurdle together, it's really going to be easy for us. So what is an evangelist? What does the word mean? Well, if, if you take the word evangelist or evangelize or evangelism, it simply means to bring good news. So it's not necessarily a trained preacher or a full-time pastor or someone with a traveling ministry. An evangelist simply means I bring good news. And every one of us in here is really, really, really good at sharing good news. We are really good evangelists. I just want to share with you some of the things I've been evangelized about recently. Have you heard about Yeti? Anybody heard about Yeti? Everybody's got an amazing Yeti story. A Yeti, what a Yeti is, is it's, it's a thermos. Don't tell them it's a thermos because they'll kind of freak out. But it's a thermos and it keeps things amazingly cold or amazingly hot. So everyone has their Yeti story about how they went fishing or they went to work or they went to the shop or they went and did this or they went shopping. And at the end of the day, they still had a refreshing cold drink because they had a Yeti, or at the end of the day, they still had hot coffee in their thermos, and how coffee would make it to the afternoon, I would never know, but they all have their amazing Yeti story, and Yeti isn't going to be Yeti unless the Yeti evangelist, who's been changed by the product, goes and shares the good news about Yeti, and you are evangelized every day by an evangelist who tells you the good news that the movie or TV show they're watching or the thing that they're into or the software they've upgraded to or the smartphone they have or the juice cleanse they're on or the Whole30 they just finished or this workout that they're doing and hot yoga this and hot yoga that and hot yoga this all day long or this app or these oils or this bow for hunting season is the quietest, most comfortable thing you've ever been hunting with, or this product is amazing. And I mean, if you get in front of the essential oils evangelist, you need to just go ahead and cancel your next appointment because you're going to be there for a while. 
and I know, and you know, that this thing is phenomenal because of the evangelist who came and shared with you the good news. And a company may do some marketing, but what they're really counting on is for you to buy the product, be changed by the product, and then share with everyone you know everywhere about the good news, how that product has enhanced your life, has changed your life in some way. So just like we are all by nature worshipers, we've taught you that before, that you don't have to be a believer to be a worshiper because worshiping is just ascribing worth, declaring worth about something. Just like we are by nature worshipers, we are by nature evangelists because we were created by the Creator in our DNA, bearing the image of God to proclaim the goodness of God. And we are really good proclaimers. We are really good promoters because it's what we were created to do. So when Jesus gave the Great Commission to his followers... He really wasn't making that big of an ask. And he really didn't even have to stick around and train us on how to do it. Why? Because that's what we do. That's who we are. We are evangelists already. And he just said, I want you, here it is in Mark 16, 15. I want you to go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. And he didn't have to host a class. He didn't have to do a seminar because it's who we are. It's what we do. So because Jesus is so passionate about this commission, about going everywhere into all the world and sharing the good news, and because we are proclaimers, because we are evangelists, and because Jesus is so passionate about the lost, one of the things we believe here at Rockbrook is that we are not a church just for church people. We're a church Not just for us, but we're on this mission of bringing good news to everyone. So you're either in one of two places with God today. You're either finding God, getting to know God, discovering who He is, and that's great. That's amazing. That's what we're here to do. Or you've already discovered who Jesus is, and you you know God, you know Christ, and because you know Him, the minute you came to know God, you became part of the search committee that's going out and seeking and telling the good news to the lost, to people who haven't heard it, or to people who don't understand it. And God really, really, really loves and is really, really focused on those who are lost. Now think about it in your own life. When you lose something that's valuable to you, You don't stop and take inventory of all the found things. No, you're going to find what's lost. So if you lose your keys, you're not going to say, oh, that's fine. I've got my wallet. No problem. We'll move on. No, you're going to find your keys. This last Tuesday, I flew into the Kansas City airport, and my friend and I go to pick up our checked bag, and it never came out of the thing that spins around. and, And we stood there waiting, and it wasn't there. And we didn't go, oh, that's okay, we still have our carry-ons, let's call it a day and just go home. No, we went to the airline and said, hey, we entrusted you with this bag, and, and you need to seek and save our bag, you need to find our bag. And in Luke chapter 15, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells three stories. 
He says, just like a good shepherd would leave 99 sheep to find the one that is lost, and just like a good steward would look for the lost silver coin, even though she has nine others, and just like a good father would be filled with compassion over one lost son, even though he has another son, God is incredibly focused on what is lost and on who is lost. So he looks down on our gathering today and he looks at Rockbrook Church this weekend and he goes, good job guys. I love your worship. You guys are amazing. Thank you for serving. Thank you for filling purpose in your life. I love it. And he's holding on to us tightly because he's not going to let us go because we were once lost. But I'll tell you, he's not totally enamored with our worship today. He's a little bit distracted. He's, he's enamored with those who haven't found him, those who haven't found the way to God. He's enamored with the lost. And so because he loves the lost, we love those that Jesus loves. And this is an amazing verse on this topic. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are Christ's ambassadors, so we are to represent Christ. And only Jesus people see is us. And God is making his appeal through us. So we're God's plan. We are God's plan to reach the lost world. And God does not have a plan B. We are it. But how in a world that's growing, that's, that's only growing more skeptical about God and they come in with, with presuppositions and ideas about God that aren't true. How do you share your faith effectively? Because a growing number of Christians are just saying, well, let's just be as secular as the world. You can't beat them, so let's just join them. And let's be more inclusive, and let's change the Bible to fit the lifestyle. But the problem is you can't make a difference unless you are different. You can't make a difference unless you are different, and you don't have to compromise in order to make a difference. But at the same time, you have another extreme where Christians can be just so rude about their faith. And we're just so grumpy, so rude. And this is why the Bible says, don't be mean, don't be rude, don't be loud, be effective, be wise. Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Let's read this one all together. Read it out loud with me. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So when you're with unbelievers, you are the ambassador. You are the representation of Jesus. And the Bible says, make it taste good. Give them truth in a way that they want to come back for some more truth again. Make it taste good. So how do you be wise? How do you put salt on on who we are? Well, let's look at a verse that leads us into that discussion. It's 1 Peter 3.15, and it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. And that's an interesting statement because it's making the assumption that your life is so attractive and different that someone would notice. To give the reason for the hope that you have. And I want to help you with that today. I want to give you three simple steps. That if we're going to be a people that reaches the lost. If we're going to be people who are passionate about who Jesus is passionate about. We have to do it the way Jesus did it. And so this outline comes from how Jesus would seek and save. So, so number one is connect with people. 
Jesus was the great connector. He never compromised truth, but sinners absolutely loved to be around him. And people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. So we connect before we correct. And people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus, not because he told them that they were okay and that no worries, everything's fine. No, he was straightforward with them, but he really deeply cared about them. People do not care what you know. They want to know that you care. And I want you to know that I could have filled this message and this outline with so much information that would have equipped you to never lose an argument over Christianity ever again. But I refuse to give you a message that just informs you so you can win an argument because you can win the argument and still lose. You can win the argument and not win the person over to Jesus. You can win the argument and still lose the soul. So we want to be effective. We want to win lost people for Jesus. And so often we don't share the gospel because we feel like we don't know enough. And maybe you're thinking, Ryland, I really wish you would have brought that other message because I don't know enough to share my faith. But the unbeliever's problem is not that they don't know enough. Okay, the unbeliever's problem is not intellectual blindness. The unbeliever's problem is spiritual blindness. So the Bible says that, that the lost, the unbelievers, that they are lost. They're, they're dead without Christ. They, they don't have eyes to see it. They don't have ears to hear it. Or their heart is hardened. Lee Strobel, he was a journalist and a lawyer and an atheist long before he authored The Case for Christ. Best-selling book. And he was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. And Lee is famous for investigating Christianity and discovering, in his words, that it would take more faith to remain an atheist than believe in the Creator and a resurrected Jesus. But even Lee would tell you that it was as he was investigating Christianity, what won him over was his wife's conversion and transformation of character, coupled with sitting in a courtroom and seeing the family of a victim forgive the perpetrator. So all the undeniable evidence, all the information, and all the reasoned arguments centered around the validity of the Christian faith and the, and the scriptures were certainly part of his story. But they weren't enough without the connection, without the compassion. And I'm not telling you to not study up and be built up by the evidence of the validity of Christianity and scripture. I enjoy that stuff a lot. Lauren and I uh, spent two days this summer at the Creation Museum in Cincinnati, and it was amazing, and I highly recommend it. But I am telling you that what the lost need to see is not another proof, not another evidence. They need to see forgiveness, compassion, encouragement, deep friendship, and hope through a connection. Look how Jesus did it. Jesus defines his whole mission. He says, I'm here for, I'm here for one reason. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And I want to make sure you know what that statement, the context of what that statement came out of. So let's go back to verse 1 and look how Jesus would seek and save who was lost. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
I'm going to put that in today's terms, in today's language. He was someone that absolutely no one liked. He was a cheat. And if he were around today, we'd call him a sleazy politician. That's just who he was. And he wanted to see, it says, who Jesus was. They don't care what you know as much as you think they do. They want to see who you are. But because he was short and, and he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you thief, you need to get saved. He said, Zacchaeus, I hear you've been doubting that I'm the creator and I'm God in the flesh And so like nobody else ever could before, I'm going to prove to you that I am the Messiah. No, Jesus, the most equipped person ever in history to win an argument about Christianity, says, I I would really like to see your house. I'd like to see where you live and I'd like to go to have lunch with you. I'd like to spend some time with you. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, and I just love that word. All the religious people were just muttering around, and they said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So there's a break there. They go and have lunch, and Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back Four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And what an amazing lunch. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Today you figured out what Christianity is really all about. I don't know what happened at that lunch, but it was something real. And it was a real connection and it was a deep connection. I'm telling you that you, you do. You know enough right now, to lead someone to Christ. I've been watching and asking uh, people in my life who have led many people to the Lord, and I'll ask them how they do. We have people in our church who have led so many people to Christ. And, and what I've found is that the running thread, the, the common theme, is that they step into someone's life, someone who may be having a rough time, and, and they care about them. And they add value to their life. And you know what they do? They encourage the fire out of them. And so you connect. You show them what deep friendship and what hope is really all about. Number two, I share my story with people. So you have a story. You have a testimony. You were once lost. And your story's powerful. Matthew 5.16. Read the underlined parts with me if you would. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And when your light shines because you're doing some good things and you're showing what the Father's heart is all about, you are living an attractive life. And that's why we need to look for the opportunity to do this word and it's where we get the word witness. And a witness simply If you go to a courtroom, you have a judge and a prosecutor and a defender and a witness. And you're not told to be the judge. You're not told to be the prosecutor. You're not even told to be the defender. You're told to be a witness. You're you're told to tell your side of the story. 
to say, hey, can I tell you about the difference following Jesus has made in my life? Hey, can I tell you about the difference Christianity has made in my life? And really, every one of us should be prepared, as Scripture says, to give an answer for the hope we have. What's really interesting about studying for this message on how to share your faith is that the Bible never even explicitly uses the term that way. It doesn't say to share your faith. Every time it talks about the topic, it says to be a witness. It says you're an ambassador, a representation. It says to give people the hope. It keeps coming around the idea of hope. And, and, And that's because faith is what you believe. Hope is what it's done for you and what it gives you. And the Bible says, yeah, go, t- go tell them what, how it's changed you. And just like the people who receive the miracles from Jesus, they go and they say, I can't answer all your questions. All I know is the hope that I have is that now I can see. And that's what the Bible says is give them hope. And the best way to give people hope is to share your story. And it'd be best if you could get it down to like two minutes, a two-minute version of your story. Even practice it. Share it with people. If you're doing the talk at over notes with your family or your small group for this series, this week, one of the instructions is to go around and just practice sharing a two-minute version of your story. So you can go to a coworker, you can go to a friend or a neighbor, or even a family member. Sometimes sharing our faith with family can be the most difficult, right? And you can say, hey, I know we're pretty good friends. Hey, I know we're family and you've kind of seen what's been going on in my life, but I've never really taken the opportunity to share with you the story myself. And, and would it be okay if I shared with you something that you may not know fully about me? And then share the two-minute version of your story. I'll give you an example. I'll give you mine. I grew up in a family of Christians who served in churches in the Midwest. In fact, that's one reason I love the church so much and I love this area so much. And through all those encounters with all those different people and all those different Christians, I began to recognize that for some believers, being a Christian was a lot of work. And it showed. They were stressed out, they were grumpy, and they were controlling. While for others, being a Christian was actually enjoyable in fact, they made, they made following Jesus look like a lot of fun. And through the sermons and through conversations with my family and reading the Bible, I learned that for some, being a Christian was all about trying to do good and be good. So they were actually wearing themselves out, trying to make sure they were doing good things and not doing bad things. And they were trying to make sure everyone around them was checking the right boxes. But God showed me through his word that he's not telling us that we're bad and need to be good. He's showing us that without Jesus in our life, we're spiritually dead. But through his resurrected life, we can have eternal life in heaven, as well as real life, abundant life here on earth. And this life that Jesus has given me has brought me hope. And as I've faced some storms that I never expected to face, and as surprises have come, and heartaches have come, and his life has given me hope. Can I show it to you in the Bible? I'll just say, can I show it to you in the Bible? Ephesians 2 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loves, loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. 
God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And that's my story. I'm a witness to it. That's my side of the story. Acts 1.8 says, you'll be my witnesses. You don't have to be the judge. You don't have to be the prosecutor. You don't even have to be the defender. Be a witness. Telling people about me everywhere. Share your story in two minutes. We'll come back to this and I'll give you some helpful, really practical stuff that will equip you and will help you as you go to share the good news, share the gospel, and share your story. But let's look at step number three, and that is invite them to a place where they can experience God. So Jesus is not a systematic belief. He's a person. And Jesus is not someone to simply be understood He's someone to be encountered and known. And if you ever have a face-to-face with him, if you ever have a connection with him, if you ever have an encounter with him, you'll never be a skeptic again. And our job is to be a place with people who are so full of life, who aren't wearing themselves out trying to tip a scale in the favor of God, but out of thanks, out of the life that we have been given through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We worship. We serve. We grow. We create deep friendship. And so people come in and they experience it and they say, I don't even know if I understand it all yet, but this is undeniable. This is undeniable. The Apostle Paul was a skeptic. He was killing Christians. He was trained in religious law. And he was killing Christians because he was convinced that it was some kind of cult. And he, when Jesus died... He and the people of his belief who were trained in the religious law thought that Jesus dying on the cross would be the thing that disbanded his followers. But actually the followers grew and they became more united than ever before. And Paul didn't understand it until he had an encounter with the living Jesus and realized that he was alive. And this is how he shared the good news with other people. He said, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately, deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want to know the truth of it, like we do from time to time. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not some fancy mental or emotional footwork done by me or anyone else. And there are people in our lives who all they need is our care. They need our story and they need an invitation to come along to a place where they can experience God and his people. And now you may be saying, Ryland, that sounds real nice. Fits on your outline real clean. Good job. Well done. But when I'm in conversations where I share my story and I share the good news, it doesn't go down exactly like, like that. And, and people, they just don't get it and, and we get sidetracked and, and it's just not working. I want to help you with that the best I can. I want to give you three simple ways to share the gospel and then some things that are not on your notes, uh, just a few things, practical things to remember. 
But there are three simple ways to share the gospel with someone. And now I'm sure you would agree that it's difficult to find someone in the Midwest, in the United States of America, who's never heard the name of Jesus or doesn't have some conceptual understanding of Christianity. Uh, it's, it's a struggle for me to even find someone in our community who's never been to church before. And so what we're kind of doing when we're witnessing to people in our community is, is clarifying. Is, is we're, they've, they heard it, but they misunderstood it. Or they didn't really hear it. Or they didn't really care. And so we are, we're bringing clarity. And here's some of the ways to do that, to share the good news with someone. The first one is a lot of people make spiritual life all about do. Do this. Join that. Get on this path. Adopt these spiritual disciplines. Check these boxes. And try to measure up to God. That's legalism. And you say, here's what I've learned about Jesus. With Jesus, it's all about what he has done. And moving from do to done has been the game changer in my life. And it's no longer, the focus isn't what, on what I do to be acceptable to God. The focus is on Jesus Christ and what he did to make me acceptable to God. And then Romans 8, 1 through 4 is a good text around do versus done. Another good way Because someone is going to tell you, well, I think I'm a good person. Well, we all think we're good people. And we're all certainly better than somebody else. (laughs) But sin isn't about being a good person or a bad person or how you compare to anyone else. It's about being dead or alive. Without Jesus, I was spiritually dead. No hope of eternal life. And Christ came in and gave me the gift of spiritual life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there's another angle because a lot of people will tell you that they went to wherever or they were raised a certain way and they had this happen to them and, and when they were a kid this experience happened or, or they went to Catholic school or they went to Christian school and they say, well, I've always tried to do this and therefore they think they're good with God. And you just say, well, that all sounds like a system and I'm not knocking your system and I'm not knocking your family background, but... What I needed was not another system. I needed a savior. I needed someone with the power to pull me up out of the mess of my life. I needed someone with the power to pull me out of hell into eternal life. I needed someone. I needed a savior. And you still might say, Ryland, when you share that with some people, they really don't get it. Let's just drop a couple practical, practical things in as we close. Three things to remember. Number one, you have to understand that there are three people in the conversation that you're having with your friend. And I'm not talking about that third person, that annoying person at work that keeps chiming in, or that annoying family member that keeps ruining it for you. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. And you might have a two-minute conversation on a lunch break with someone But guess what? The Holy Spirit was talking to them before your conversation. The Holy Spirit was empowering you during that conversation. And the Holy Spirit will continue talking to them long after that conversation is over. And you might say, well, Ryland, the Holy Spirit is really not doing a good job because it's been a while now and they still don't get it. 
but don't buy that because the Holy Spirit does an amazing job. And you really don't know what's happening underneath the surface in their life. And the seed that you sowed, you don't know what it's doing. And you don't know how the Holy Spirit is working. Another thing you need to remember and be prepared for is that after you share your story and share the good news with them, they're probably not going to say, oh, thank you so much. Where do I sign up? I've never heard it this way before. Thank you for clearing this up for me. I really want to become a Christian right now. That's probably not going to happen. What I have found, what happens more often than not, is they, you're going to do your whole thing, and they are going to say, hey, I got a question for you. I, said, I remember eighth grade sharing the gospel with someone. I remember high school sharing it with a coworker, And even last Thursday, I'm sharing my, just like I did with you today. My story, the whole thing with the guy I've been making a connection with. And I was so ready for it by now because this is just what happens. He says, I have a question for you. And he proceeded to ask me the strangest question about heaven. And that's just what happens. They're going to say, hey, I got a question for you. What do you think about string theory? Uh, Rylan didn't tell us about string theory. <laughs> hey, what do you think about Scientology? What's Scientology all about? They're going to say, hey, I heard Jesus was married. What's that all about? And I have found that the most freeing thing to do when they come back with the question is to reverse the question. And this is so freeing. You don't have to answer every question. You don't have to have an opinion on every political topic. You don't have to know everything about every other religion. Some people think that before they can share the gospel, they've got to study all the different religions and and get their tool belt all in order. No, no, no. Don't waste your time on false doctrine, on a false religion. When someone comes back with a strange question or just a question in general, I have found freedom in just asking the question back, well, how do you explain the universe? You don't do it snarky. You just... Bring it back to, don't let them pull it way off into the ditch. Keep the conversation where it needs to be. How do you explain the universe? How do you explain the longing we all have inside of us to connect to a higher power? How do you handle the low points in life? And if the question's really off the wall, say, is answering that question really the thing that's holding you back from deciding who Jesus is? Is, is it really that thing that's, that's keeping you from coming to terms with who Jesus is and making a decision? And once you reverse the question, the conversation settles down into the realization that, oh, you weren't trying to make me do something. You weren't trying to control me. You were just trying to tell me that Yeti is the most amazing thermos you've ever owned. <laughs> you were just trying to share with me some good news. And if you're afraid that you don't know enough answers, remember, no one can answer every question. You just need to know that you met Jesus and something changed in your life and now you have hope. And the third thing to remember, and it's just this simple, write this down, it's this word, brokenness. Brokenness. Brokenness is the biggest open door. When you share your story, how out of grief or brokenness God has given you hope, you will rarely lack a listener. This message of hope is what people are dying to know. And you can step into someone's life and say, you look like you're having a hard time. I know what it's like to have a hard time. And can I tell you that when I was having a hard time, Jesus became very real to me. Let's pray together. 
God, we just invite you to be number one in our lives. We thank you for your story, the God story of how much you've loved us and that you made a way there where there was no way. God, we want to love who you love. Lord, it's a joy to be a part of what you are a part of, to represent you, to be your ambassadors. God, we ask you to give us boldness as we share our faith. We ask you to give us kindness as we share our faith. We ask you to give us confidence and clarity as we share our faith. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.